Saturday morning has rolled around again, folks. Nice to have you aboard on this Saturday as we're continuing through 2020. And boy, lots of stuff happening. I'll tell you, we got uh, got a big show today. We're going to talk about what's going on with our ATVs in national parks. That will uh, be part of our show. We've got Gary Winterton and George Summer will be joining us. There are places right now that the ice is good and the fishing is pretty decent, especially if you're up in northern Utah. Manaway, that area there, uh, the Hiram Reservoir, both of those are good perch uh, and, uh, uh, and, and trout waters too, but certainly good pan fishing waters. Uh, and then we've got a segment that is coming up in this first segment that uh, we're going to talk about strawberry. There is a big push on the part of the State Division of Wildlife Resources to talk about strawberry, to inquire from you as anglers and users, what would you like to see done with strawberry? Of course, you know, it's been what, uh, 25 years or more since the uh, since the wrote no treatment of strawberry, you put the cutthroat in there, you know, there's been some, a lot of folks don't like the way they fight, and I've got to admit, I'm typically one of them, especially in the middle of the summer months, but the Division of Wildlife Resources, I think, is very responsive to, to us as fishermen overall, but certainly with strawberry as well, and they're asking for your input on a survey to find out what would you like to see done with strawberry. Is there, you know, I've seen things online about people People want to put Lahontan cutthroats in there, the, the bigger, you know, like in Pyramid Lake and things like that. Um, I'm not sure that the water temperature is going to sustain that or the depth or whatever. Uh, I'm sure there are all kinds of things. I know people, some people have said wipers. Uh, it's other people, they did put kokanee in there. So we've had the addition of kokanee into it. Um, some people have said put in uh, non-sterile rainbows and let them grow now. And so you can go up and, and make it a put-and-take fishery for rainbows. All kinds of ideas. Tiger muskie is one of the... Uh, is one of the suggestions as well. There are all kinds of different ideas that um, uh, that anglers have that they're kind of letting the Division of Wildlife Resources know that they are interested in doing something different with strawberry. Bank fishermen at strawberry, a lot of them uh, have been complaining because it can be a tough place to bank fish. But it, it's always been that way uh, for the most part. I mean, especially in the summer when you've got those big moss heads, uh, just the way that water is. But there are folks who, um, you know, look at Henry's Lake, which has got somewhat of a similar ecosystem, and say, why can't we do something like Henry's where you've got those great big uh, fish in there as well? So uh, all kinds of suggestions and ideas as to what to do with strawberry. And it's not an easy fix. I don't think there are some who say it's not broken. Don't fix it. You know, you're catching a slot buster occasionally. A lot of people are upset about the slot uh, and would like to take that off or change the slot. So there are all kinds of ideas uh, as to what you can do or what you should do. Um, You know what they say about opinions. Everyone's got one. It's like another part of the anatomy. But the Division of Wildlife Resources is soliciting those opinions. And joining us is Wes Pierce, who uh, is working on that project with the Strawberry um, Resource, uh, the Strawberry Reservoir I guess it's it is a survey. I mean, you're going to call it that, but it doesn't. Uh, I mean, obviously, what folks want and what they ultimately get have got to be compatible from an ecosystem standpoint and uh, biomass and everything else. But the fact that there is discussion about doing something different, I think, is is certainly interesting. So let's welcome Wes to the show. Wes, thanks for joining us. And um, boy, this is I mean, this is a big undertaking, and obviously, everybody does have something to say about strawberry. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. And yes, uh, strawberry is very popular, and everybody everybody's <laughs> got opinion on what should be done out there for and sure. That, which makes it really tough for you guys, obviously, because uh, I mean, just in reading the online comments, there are as many opinions as there are people posting. So I am sure that that trickles down to your the people who are taking your survey as well. How do you how do you go about? Um, digesting all this information. I mean, there are certain things that probably just don't make sense from a biologist standpoint, given the water temperature and the quality and the depth and everything else. So you can, I imagine, eliminate those. But there are some things that you have to consider, don't you? Yeah, there's a lot of things to consider. You know, yeah, a lot of that stuff, when you start looking at comments on some of those social media sites, and <laughs> again, yeah, everybody's got his opinion. It seems to be everybody that... You know, there's a lot of people that don't express an opinion that are pretty happy, but there's a lot of people that are yeah. concerned and want to see us go a different way. But, again, we can't do everything everybody wants because we have biological um, limitations yeah. on what we can do and what we what we need for the fishery. What does that we water... We try not to manage the fishery for us. You know, we want to see what anglers... We take what the anglers say, and we really take that to heart and what they want to see at sure. Strawberry. What does that water not allow you to do? Because of either its elevation, its depth, uh, the, the moss and everything. What what kind of things can you not do because of the, uh, the characteristics of Strawberry? Uh, one thing that um, sticks out to me is everybody's uh, thought on putting lake trout in there. Yeah. Um, we're starting to get a lot of those. I, we don't think Lake Trout would do really well in there because I don't know if people know this, but strawberry actually goes anoxic during the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, so then bottom depth for those Lake Trout like to hang where it's no cold oxygen. It's four to five degree C. Yeah. There's no oxygen. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that that's one thing that um, we have to keep in mind. Other things is we've got to keep the chubs under control. What are some stuff that is allow us to do that and the cutthroat that we have in there right now do a great job of keeping those chubs in check yeah and and obviously so, that was your goal to, to begin with because you had to make the treatment uh, you blew the dam and everything else but if the chubs come back that's just money that was wasted exactly and, and that's why we you know we, we don't anticipate a decrease in stocking cutthroat we've got to keep those we've got to keep those under control that's really our number one concern is there a thought though to not going with the bear lake cutthroat now i mean i I don't think we're doing the egg selling uh anymore correct i mean around the country is there a thought of doing something with a cutthroat that is that is better in the warmer water because i mean i've got to admit i i do have a soft spot for those who say those cutthroats do not fight worth a darn in the summer months and and it's because i mean the way i understand it and certainly correct me if i'm wrong but that water they come out of the bear lake strain um it comes out at really cold cold water and, and and strawberry just warms up too much. Yeah, it does. They can, especially those surface temps can get really warm, especially yeah. that's when you start to see that. So is there a... Um, as far as our... Sorry, as far as, far as sideways on cutthroats, you know, there are different strains of cutthroat, but we're, you know, we're kind of tied to what we have in our hatchery system. Yeah. And where we stock so many cutthroat in that system, that's that's what we have available to us. Yeah, so to change horses right now would be so costly, I guess, because you've got that Bear Lake cutthroat hatchery system up and running, and I guess to, to start a new one with a different strain of cutthroat and get it to that point would be cost prohibitive. Right, and then, you know, if you don't, if you can't go all in at one time, too, you end up, you know, getting crosses and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, too, which you don't really want. Yeah. Now, what about what about Rainbow? Because, obviously, when the lake was restocked, st- the Rainbow were sterilized, so they, they didn't, uh, hopefully they didn't uh, propagate. Some of them did, obviously. Is there been a thought to going back to maybe putting Fertile Rainbow in there as well? 
There's not. We've really kept kept with that sterile rainbow just because we don't want them crossing with our cutthroat. Okay. Um, we've actually, you know, a lot of the comments on there is, uh, you know, shifting the rainbow sizes. And we're actually in the process of actually stocking a bigger rainbow. Okay, yeah. In actually hopes of getting those fish to survive a little bit better. Yeah, because you know, there was some go. huge rainbow that came out of there early when you put those sterile rainbow in there. Um, yeah. And, and, and I guess the biggest issue that I read from people is those who have complaints or complaining really about it not being A, a shore fishery, which I'm I'm sure it'll never be a great shore fishery, but B, being a family fishery, meaning you can't go up and catch 10 or 12 fish, you know, on a Saturday, typically. Right. And when people, you know, when people start talking about shore fishing and stuff, and strawberry is not really conducive to that during certain times of year when people want to go out and fishing. Right. You know, from that early summer until early fall, it's really hard to show fish strawberries. <laughs> yeah, those moss heads are, are really a, a negative for you. There are some areas of the lake where you can do it, but for a lot of times the shore is just inundated with that moss. Yep, it is. And, and then you've got to have that boat. You've got to be able to get out on, on the water to be able to fish it. And that is one of the complaints that we see in a lot of comments. So I, I don't, don't want you to tip your hand because I'm sure right now that uh, you haven't finished with this survey. But is there a real possibility we'll see a, a change, a major change in strawberry? Or is this kind of an exercise in, uh, in just in, in getting comments and seeing where we are? You know, what's going on right now is we're actually right in the middle. Well, we actually just started last month um, of writing our rewriting our strawberry management plan. We had one back in 2014. We did the same type of survey back in 2012. So we're just kind of restarting that process right now. And what we actually have put together is actually a committee um, for the strawberry management plan. And it is a group of anglers, um, people, constituents, that have an inter- a vested interest in strawberry. There's people from SFW on there. There's people from Utah Anglers Coalition, Strawberry Anglers Coalition, um, the Forest Service, Trout Unlimited. All these people are part of this group that's actually going to steer the management of strawberry. You might get the elephant, you know, the animal designed by committee, if, if, yeah. you, if you do that with so many cooks in the, in the kitchen. But uh, it's great that, you know, you've got that opportunity to take input from people. Um, it is, and it's just like, our, you know, the mule deer, the, we deal with the mule deer. You right. Know, we, have, we have those 14 groups, and that's who's going to steer the direction of strawberry. It's not, it's not me, it's not Alan that's, you know, saying, we want this, we want this. We're just kind of there to guide, you know, biological stuff. But if, if anglers want to, if this group and these anglers want to see a change, it could be possible. Yeah. They want to see a species introduction. It could be possible, but everything is going to go through this advisory committee that we have, and they're going to make those recommendations to us. And and the lake even is going through kind of a change in and of itself. I know from a uh, just a um, concessionaire standpoint, there are some plans for the lake. The lake has been you know, 99% fishing, you know, which has been great. You don't have water skiers to deal with. Uh, you are getting some, some personal watercraft up there. But for the most part, throughout its history, it has been a fishing lake. But, you know, that that size body of water and, the, and given the pressure that's being put on by our population increase and everything else, I don't think that can last forever. You're going to find alternate water sports on that lake besides fishing uh, in years to come. Oh, and, and we've already seen it. I mean, you know, we've got some of the marina guys right now, you know, wave runners, and we've seen yep. a lot of, of increase in those. And then again, it, it's because of the pressure on these other waters, like Jordanelle, like Deer Creek, that's forcing these people to come find other waters that aren't being utilized. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's no question. Strawberry Strawberry will change in the next 10 years. We'll see it, and I'm not sure that everybody will will like the change, or maybe anybody will like the change, but but it's certainly uh, one of those things that you have to make a change because it it can't stay stagnant. There's just no way. Well, Wes... population growth and everything else things are going to change for sure yeah how do people get involved do you still have the survey can they still go to your website and participate have you closed comment on it yeah now? the survey's still up um our outreach section's kind of done in that um as far as i know it's still up and going i don't think it's going to be up and going for probably too much longer we've actually got a lot of responses <laughs> i haven't analyzed a lot of that data yet yeah um because it's still coming in once it's completed that's when we'll actually go through it um, and start looking at some of those comments, and, well, and, and and not even not just the comments again, but actually looking at the data. And I think that's where everybody gets caught up is in looking at the comments. But when you actually pull that data and look at it, it might actually tell you a different picture than what just some of the people are commenting. Yeah, you. yeah. There's a there's an awful lot of opinions out there that aren't supported by any facts. Uh, and, exactly. and and again, you know, we are limited from a biological standpoint. What we can do with the water, what the size of it will do, what the carrying capacity is as far as biomass, all kinds of things that you know maybe the average Joe who fishes for a certain kind of species doesn't ever see um and right. you know you couldn't put walleye in there maybe or you know you look at predation uh and where a fish where a food source lives as a chub as opposed to you know where does the the ace predator live the apex predator um if you're not in the same water column which is i guess why that the uh that the uh, cutthroat and the and the rainbow in particular made such a good uh, control of the chub is because they were in that that shallower water, the uh, the rainbow, and ate those chubs. Yep, exactly. So, well, Wes, thanks for being with me. I appreciate it, and um, we'll send people to your website. I guess I assume that is wildlife.utah.gov, and then they can look for that uh, that survey. Yeah, and I think a lot of it's you know it's on our Facebook, our DWR page, and the Instagram. Okay. So, all right, where they see, see most of that. So, well, if you want your your vote to count, or you want your input at least. Um, this division does a great job of seeking it, and if you don't take advantage of it, then it's your responsibility as a, a consumer and as a fisherman. But I, I think I truly believe that they're asking for it and they want it. Now there are some things that just won't work based on you know the uh, preclusions that you have biologically, but uh, I think they're willing to listen. And uh, who knows, you may see a species addition to strawberry or some things changing. Wes, thanks again for joining us. Uh, it's always great yep, to talk to you. Thank you. And strawberries just one of those places that we always we all love um, but how to how to change it and how to fix it uh, there's very little consensus there and then the biologists are left to to deal with everything that we suggest listen we're going to step aside take a break uh, george and gary will join us when we come back right here on inside the outdoors for this saturday morning And we are back on this Saturday morning with Inside the Outdoors. Nice to have you aboard. And uh, hope you're enjoying the weather. 
If not, we'll just wait five minutes. But we've had that warm south wind during the week, and then we had the colder temperatures and everything else. And hopefully that wind didn't take too much of the ice cap off. I think we get those warm winds, and we're going to get some deterioration. But right now we've got some decent ice at several reservoirs. And uh, to tell us more about that, let's bring in George Summer, who uh, is going to talk about a couple here in northern Utah. I mentioned off the top of the show, George, that, that Hiram and Mattaway were both doing pretty well. And I know Hiram has just been red hot for perch. But you're going to talk about a couple of, uh, of places that are good for trout. And you might pick up an occasional perch as well. Oh, exactly. You know, uh, Rockport and Echo uh, for trout fishing, they're, they're doing really well right now. Um, and then, like you said, there, there's perch to be had there. The challenge with the perch is it's a lot tougher to locate them. Yeah. Once you do, you're going to get some, some good perch. Um, but uh, trout fishing is pretty easy. What uh, and, and from an ice standpoint, again, I mean, unless these warm temperatures persist for a while, uh, probably our, our nights are cold enough. But these warm southern winds are certainly, they play a little hell with the ice on occasion. They do, and, and you know, I, I always, you know, Echo's been fairly decent, but with Rockport, use caution. Yeah. You know, anywhere you're going after we have this, this warm spell, use caution, you know, double-check, uh, make sure it's thick enough, uh, especially close to the bank, because if you get out of ways and you go through, um, it's cold. life's not good at that point. <laughs> no. We don't want anybody to, to have any kind of those those kind of accidents. You know, so, yeah, just check. Check the ice. And this time of year, we don't usually think about this, uh, the edge ice not being great. But, you know, usually taking that board, that two by six or whatever, is a is a pretty good idea as we get about six weeks down the line. But I'm thinking right now, given the way the ice has been, it's not a bad idea to throw it in the back of your vehicle, you know, a six-foot board or something to help you, especially in the afternoons when you're coming off if that sun's out. You know, and that's the key thing. You know, most of us get there early. Yeah. We go out, everything's frozen. Um, and then the first thing to warm up are the edges. And, and if you go out and you don't have that plank available, yeah. <laughs> you're going to get wet getting on the bank. And, you know, and if you're in a, a really steep section where the water's deep right off the, the bank, it's over the uh, boots. that's not a good thing. No, no, that it's can be over thing. your boots real easily, no matter what you got on. Uh, but I think the ice has been pretty good. But, again, um, you know, this, this weather has been changing. We've had those cold nights, and then all of a sudden we had the cloud cover, and it kind of and c- coupled with that warm wind, it kind of held those temperatures pretty warm. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just be safe. Um, you know, everybody check it before you go out there. Go with a buddy. Take some rope. Take some picks. Um, because, uh, you know, there's no fish in the world that's worth your life. <laughs> Boy, that's uh, the it's truth. It's supposed to be fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, we, we talked about Hiram. Um, just for people who who have not fished that up there, it's a drive. You know, if you're coming from the Wasatch Front, it's kind of a drive. But uh, Hiram has really turned into a, a good ice fishing fishery over the last several years. And this year is really great. It, it is. You know, this year they've, they've seemed to have come on. You know, usually it's typically there's a, quite a few little fish. Uh, but they seem to be, you know, good enough for most people to flay. And it's just a matter of, you know, going out there and locating the, the fish. And, and uh, you know, once you catch a fish, then uh, as much as I hate to say it, some people might be squeamish, but use a perch eyeball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that That's one of the great tips for perch is once you make that, you catch that first pitch, uh, fish, use the eyeball for them, from the perch. They just seem to bite better on eyeballs than anything else. Well, and and the the thing with an eyeball is it's going to last a lot longer than right. a waxworm because they're they're masters of picking a waxworm <laughs> off. But 
you got that eyeball on there. You can catch four or five or more fish on one eyeball. Um, and, you know, when you're catching fish, you've got a steady supply of bait um, to use. So, you know, that, that's a key tip with perch is, is to don't hesitate to use the eyeball when you catch your first pit. And I'll give, give you another tip, and that is, and I know you know this, uh, but maybe the uninitiated don't, take a potato peeler. It's the easiest thing to pull an eyeball out with. Uh, it, it's much easier than a knife. You just take it in that end of the potato peeler and just pop it out, and it's like popping the eye of a potato out, and, and you'll get it clean, and it's just an easy way to do it. Well, and the nice thing, you know, they got that little slot in the potato peeler. Yeah. That's a good place to get your hook in the eyeball. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. So, so yeah. Yep, definitely a good tip. But perch, perch fishing is one of those things that I think once people get hooked on it, for, for, no pun intended, but uh, literally those fish are tight schooling fish. If you find one, chances are you find a bunch of them. And uh, it makes for a real easy day, and especially if you go at a time when the weather is nice and you take the kids, it's a great way to introduce them to ice fishing or, or anyone who has never been ice fishing before. And and you you got two bonuses there, you know, uh, fish that that'll school up. Uh, when you find them, they're easy to catch. And the other thing is they're really good to eat. <laughs> yeah, they taste about as good as you're going to get. There's no question about that. So as you're Definitely. looking looking at this week, George, um, given ice conditions and everything else, and uh, I mean we've mentioned we've mentioned uh, Echo and uh, and Rockport. Obviously, those two are, are good suggestions. And then if you want to make the drive up north, Manaway, which is in Sardine Canyon, uh, or all the way up to Hiram, those two are are good. Uh, any others? To, how, how's the Deer Creek situation? I have not heard, and I've got to confess, I haven't been up that canyon this last week or two. And, and I. I to be honest with you, I haven't been by there either, and I haven't heard a word. I would venture a guess because it's. It seems we've had a lot of wind. Yeah. But my guess would be that Deer Creek is still open water. Yeah, for the most part. Maybe by a state park, the lower state park, not the island area. Yeah. It might have frozen in there because that doesn't get quite as much wind. But uh, yeah, you you might be taking skim ice off with your boat uh, if you're doing it. But if you can get on that water. Um, this is a great time of year to do it. I mean, if that water is still soft enough that you can launch the boat, those fish at Deer Creek, when the water is soft in the middle of this time of year, they are absolutely voracious. They are. You know, and there's a lot of them in there. You know, from from our previous trips, both yeah. you and I, yeah. there is a lot of fish in Deer Creek. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so that would be another, ch- uh, another choice, maybe, the Deer Creek choice. And then, um, let's see, where else? Maybe East Canyon. East Canyon's been fishing good for trout as well. And then, you know, I wouldn't overlook going a little further south and hitting Schofield. Yeah, that's true. It's Again, it's a... A uh, maybe a, a different ride, and it's going to take a while to get there. But they've got some. There's some nice fish in there. There is, and there's. I mean, you've got a variety. You never know what you're going to catch. You, know, you may luck into a tiger muskie or a wiper, but the trout fishing has been really good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, George, as always, thanks. It's great to talk to you, and uh, and hopefully you'll get a chance to do a little research and development this coming week. But I uh, thank you for your updates, and uh, and we'll stay in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, Steve. All right. George Summer with uh, his report. And again, yeah, there are a couple of places that you might want to look at, uh, but he's usually got his finger on the pulse of them right now. So uh, check it out. Well, the music's back, and that means he's back. He's back from Brazil, the Ginger Wonder. Wonder, Wonder. He could be the Wonder. But anyway, the Ginger Ninja is uh, with us again, Gary Winterton, GW, Mr. Hooked on Utah. How you doing, buddy? 
I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be back. Yeah, nice to have you. I mean, I'm sure you enjoyed that weather down there in Brazil. It was a uh, a lot warmer than we've had here, but you're back at it, and uh, and the show tonight, you're, <laughs> you're going to show us some really cold weather that you filmed right before you left. Yeah. So, Steve, i got to tell you, it's hard to go. You go from this cold temperature to Brazil <laughs> on the Amazon, 95 degrees, probably 95% humidity. Just as you get used to that, then you roll back here to the cold. That's a slap in the face. Yeah. Uh, I think there's not a whole lot of sympathy for you, though. I just want <laughs> I want you to know that in this chair there is not much sympathy, and i got a feeling at home there's not a whole bunch of sympathy for you either. Yeah. Just in case you were wondering. Just, just in case. But tonight we're talking uh, cold weather stuff, right? I mean, uh, yeah. cold weather experience. Yeah, so, so just before we went to the Amazon, we there was a group of uh, – of eight total uh, Utah folks that went out to um, Appleton, Wisconsin, to a place called Hunt's End. And um, it, uh, it's such an awesome place. Let me tell you what. We went down there, and uh, this place is a giant 10,000-acre piece of property that has just giant whitetail on it, giant whitetail. And they manage it that way so that they have – Huge, huge deer. And Appleton is just about 20 miles from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which, as you know, is where they hold the world's largest air show every summer in July. Yep. Um, so, so you, so you loved thinking, it. Gosh, man, how fun. It's going to be warm. No, minus 20 degrees. So oh. it was freezing cold. And uh, I paid for it because when we got back, I was sick for about three weeks. Wow. Well, again... You're still getting no sympathy. I just want you to know, in case it was a stretch and that was a try for a second bite at the apple, no pun intended. But I hear Appleton. Now, now you are hunting out of stands. Is that correct? Uh, in apple orchards? You know, it's so much fun. Yeah. So they have these, it's these big hardwood lot um, areas where there's just trees like you can't believe. I mean, you can only see... You can only see 100 yards in there. And they, in some of them, they will have done some clear cuts, you know, to make a uh, Sendero that kind of goes down and in. and uh, But then everything else is just hardwood. So we're up above the ground in these enclosed tree stands. It is nice because you have a heater in there. And that's pretty fun because you watch the deer come and go, come and go. It's a different style of hunting. You know, out in the West, we get out, we glass, and you can, as far as you can glass, you can see, you know, and then right. you kind of pick your deer and go after it. Here, you, you just have to, uh, you just have to watch um, for the deer to come by. And, and that is exciting in itself because one second there's nothing. And, and then all of a sudden, bam, right in front of you will be some does or bucks. And so it's really, really exciting. And I enjoyed it. It was different hunting and, I can see how people, especially archery, we were using rifle, but I could see how I could really get into that from an archery perspective earlier in the season when it was warmer. Well, I can see how I can get it into it as an old guy perspective, okay? I mean, I, I think that's one of my bucket lists. I'd love to take a whitetail, and stand hunting at this point in my life is one of those things that, you know, enjoy the warmth, enjoy sitting up there, and you can kind of pick your deer. Uh, and and whitetail are completely different in terms of behavior and everything else than mule deer, so it is an, an adjustment, isn't it, mentally? Yeah, you know, not really. You know, it's just... <laughs> well, it just in terms of habits. Yes, totally, totally. In terms of habits, it 100% it is. It, it, there is a big adjustment there. Um, you know, the thing that you realize, too, is these deer, 
um, are very, very, they behave differently than mule deer. Um, and where mule deer will linger and kind of hang out an area, you'll see them go bed down. Um, and, you know, once you spot them, you can actually watch them go to bed. The whitetail are a little bit more different, especially the bucks this time of year. They would travel and and they'd come through for a minute and then they were gone. And as, if you glassed out of the building, you could catch glimpse of them through the alleys of these trees, just going whatever direction they were going, and they were going quick. Mm-hmm. So really interesting. That's a big adjustment in terms of hunting, um, how the deer came and went. Um, and then sometimes you'd see the same buck maybe come back the other direction following a doe, and we were closer to the rut. So, you know, where the does went, the bucks would go. But it's, it is a fun way to hunt. Um, and I'm sure some people will watch this and say, ah, oh, that's not that exciting because we're so conditioned to big mountains, yeah. wide open spaces, you know, elk and deer that were glassing from a mile away and then, you know, over hill and dell to try to get there. This is very different. This is climbing a stand and sit there for the bulk of the day. Yeah. And uh, retrieving your deer is a little easier, too. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you jump in the ATV and you drive down the the uh, the clear cut that they made so you could shoot down a lane and you throw it in the back and you go back to the lodge and then uh, you know they take care of everything else for you right there while you eat lunch and I'm going to tell you I could get used to that once we got <laughs> we got back into the warm and big screen TV and a hot lunch and then they had this they've got this beautiful processing area where they they hang your deer up dress it all out wash it all up they will they will actually butcher it and package it for you right there so if you want to take it all boned out frozen on the airplane home you can do that yep definitely no definitely not even a little bit of uh of you know feeling bad for you i'm looking forward (laughs) looking forward to seeing i mean you come home from that okay you put up with a couple of weeks of sickness and then you head down to brazil uh and mexico i've forgotten the the mexico trip was in there too so uh yeah just just to let you know nobody here is feeling sorry for you but tonight we can check it out, 11.05, right after Talking Sports. On Channel 2, it is Hooked on Utah. My friend, we'll look forward to seeing it, and uh, and we'll talk to you next week, okay? Absolutely, and just know from here on out, it's ice fishing, baby, so buckle <laughs> up and get ready. Yeah, that's right. Welcome back to the ice. All right. Thanks, Gary. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Gary Winterton tonight. Uh, just be sure and check out Hooked on Utah. It's one of those uh, shows that just make a date on Saturday nights, 11.05 on KUTV Channel 2. Listen, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, our ATV community and what's happening. And, you know, a couple of months ago, we thought we had a major win in terms of national parks and using our ATVs on uh, our street legal ATVs on roads. Well, that one kind of went by the wayside. Where is it now? We'll find out. Stick around. Final segment of the show coming up on this Saturday morning. Welcome back, everybody. Inside the Outdoors, as promised, Michael Swenson joins us, and we're going to be talking ATV, off-road, issues of uh, multiple use, and all that stuff in this final segment. So, Michael, welcome to the show this morning. 
Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Sorry I couldn't be there with you in person. That's all right. It's good to have you. And, uh, I mean, I know you've been super busy. There are some things, maybe not so much at the state level as the legislature is on the horizon. And we talked to Chris Holler last week from State Parks. But certainly at the federal level, and I think one of the things that I wanted to get into with you is where is the uh, the, the policy that uh, national parks had and I use it in past tense, I think, about allowing street-legal machines to be on roads in national parks. Is that been rolled back, or is that still available for people who have those legal? Yeah, I can I can tell you a lot about that. Um, I will add that, like every year, Steve, we sit down and we talk about the upcoming legislative session, and some years there's stuff on the horizon, and some years there's not, but that doesn't mean something couldn't <laughs> pop up True. in a couple of weeks. So uh, I, I know that you're great at watching those things, and I will be uh, watching the bills during the legislative session. If something pops up, we'll let you know. But so far, uh, so good. But, you know, nobody is safe when the legislature's in session, as you well know. And so we've <laughs> got to keep our eye on that one. <laughs> Boy, that, that, that is the truth. So uh, let's talk about the National Park situation. Okay. Uh, you know, the Park Service, the makeup of the National Park Service over the course of the last 25 years has gone from when I was a kid. You know, park rangers were guys that loved the outdoors, and they were usually, uh, you know, they've been veterans, uh, and they just, enjoyed being out and and you know participating in the kind of things we did they went through a i think a major change as far as the political bent of park service employees and everything else during the last couple of administrations prior to this one and you've got some real left-leaning people that are now in the, either in the park service uh, employ or have recently retired uh, i understand that they are exerting some influence and have done over this policy that um, that we had uh, of, of allowing street legal machines on national park roads. So it's true. Unfortunately, Steve, we've seen it across all federal land agencies that they've just become increasingly liberal. And in fact, one of the frustrating points that uh, USAL used to make was, what's the difference between the BLM and the, the National Park Service? For years, the National Park Service really was designed to protect small, really particularly special places. And and in, and in doing so, there was limited public access, for better or for worse. And BLM has increasingly kind of gone over to a park service model, which is extremely restrictive. And their employees have become increasingly rabid over the years. So many years ago, we introduced a bill into the Utah legislature that allowed ATVs to become street legal. You were involved with that. It was a great victory for all of us. Um, and, and one of the things that we looked at was, look, the federal agencies, so that includes the National Park Service, defer to state law to define what is or is not a motor vehicle. So we created a motor, an ATV that was street legal that was defined as a motor vehicle right. in state code. You've got to have allowing us right. to use our vehicles even on roads that went through national parks. Now that doesn't mean that you could take your four wheeler and go blasting off up the <laughs> right. Relicate Arch. All right, that you could not do that. But on an oiled road. Or, or a road graded dirt road. Vehicle. Yeah. If it allows yeah. a regular vehicle on there, then right. the ATV is classed as, I mean, you have a horn, you have lights, you have uh, turn yeah, signals. Play, everything. Yep. Right. And you right. paid the extra that money. Was, that was one of the, per, uh, we had a multiple reasons, but that was one of the, we thought, hey, this will create a way to regulate uh, ATV type use on roads in national parks. And it could be a really good thing for tourism and, and rural economies and different things of that nature. So I called and had many discussions discussions with uh, park superintendents, and they were adamantly and vehemently opposed to such a thing. And it was absurd to them. Now, mind you, 
if I had a, uh, a, a, a dirt bike that was a dual sport bike with mm-hmm. knobby tires yeah. and I had a license plate on it, they said, no, those are fine. And if I had a Subaru that was white, <laughs> that was cool. But if I had an ATV or a side-by-side that had the same equipment, essentially, especially as the, the dual sport motorcycle with a license plate and everything, no, no, no you're evil, you're going to destroy our park, you can't be there. So we went round and round, and they they very quickly issued a policy, which I argue was probably, um, I don't know if illegal is the right word, but certainly not okay, that said no ATVs. Even if it's a motorized, street legal, never licensed, no ATVs. So what happens come come to current times, the Trump administration gets into place, and they've got good, so they've got some good solicitor generals. That's the attorneys that advise the National Park Service. And a solicitor general gets a hold of this policy that the Park Service has and says, um, I think you're way likely to get sued, and you're going to lose. And so it's my advice that we open this up to street legal ATVs, so not just necessarily any ATV. And uh, the National Park Service, uh, of course, throws a fit, but the Trump administration, Secretary of Interior says, yep, you're right, we're going to now allow this, and that will be effective. Uh, it was a couple months back. Well, in the meantime, the Park Service employees fought, pushed, screamed, kicked, um, and made a big stink and asked for uh, secondary review. And now, even though the Solicitor General, mind you, the attorneys advising them did not change their opinion, the Park Service has reversed the idea that they would allow uh, street legal ATVs in the parks and said, no, just kidding, you're no longer allowed. So we're kind of back to, to where square we one, and that's, yeah, yep. So they are illegal as we stand today. And unless, I mean, it sounds to me like someone needs to take a class action suit and get the things declared legal, in which case it would moot all of this, correct? I mean, if they're considered a vehicle. And that's where some of the the OHV organizations, including uh, good old USL, they're kind of struggled. But um, that's where they're needed. They would be in a perfect position to uh, raise a little bit of money and file such a suit. And it would go to federal court. Who knows how far it would go? And it's probably likely that they would win. Um, that That's really, uh, unless the Secretary of Interior is willing to be um, go against his agency and tell them, no, you're going to do this, um, which I think, frankly, I think he probably could be compelled to do, um, then right now the way it stands is your you know, ATVs are prohibited yeah. in national parks, even on the oiled roads, um, which is just insane to me. But Yeah, I, it's it like you said. I mean, compare it to a... To a uh, a dirt bike uh, because you have four wheels. You can still take in there, by the way, Steve. Yeah, yeah. You got a dual sport motorcycle, right. Licensed, you're fine. <laughs> so two wheels, fine. Four wheels, no. Two wheels, super knobby tires. I mean, designed to go off road, but you're licensed under state law as a motorcycle. Yeah, those are still okay. Man. I love someone to explain that to me. And there's nothing. I have nothing against. In fact, hallelujah, I'm glad. Sure, but because I'd love it, it to provides the difference to me. Well, yeah, the fact that it exists provides the inconsistency for which to base any legal action on. I think that's a great. I mean, it's a great thing for us. I, I, I got to le- tell you, the UNA Cache National Forest does the same thing at Hobble Creek, still to this day. Really? Yeah, you can take a street legal, but if you're an ATV, there's places they're prohibited. <laughs> and I went round and round with the Forest Service engineer there that explained to me it's a safety issue. Is what he said. I would like to know <laughs> yeah. how in the world it, it just comes down to the fact that these bureaucrats have considerable power and their bias, which is usually founded in, you know, no facts and really poor opinion, uh, are making significant decisions that are affecting the public. 
frankly, they're affecting even some of our rural economies and, uh, and in, in many cases, affecting the actual environment that they claim to protect. They're, they're really not protected. <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty messed up. So that is one that we need to keep our eye on at the, at the national level, correct? I, I mean, is there anybody yeah. that you can – is there anyone that's carrying this banner, this torch, that's willing to do it right now, or is it just kind of stewing? Not, not – so it's pretty recent. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, of course, there's great groups that work on these issues nationally, um, such as the AMA, um, such as American for Recreational uh, Responsible Recreational Access Era, uh, those are some so those are some good groups uh, that I think would be interested that could be influential. But I am not aware. I don't believe that they've engaged heavily on that that issue. There's so many, I guess, big battles to fight. That one is important, but maybe not. Maybe doesn't rise to the level of of, of high enough high enough importance for them to engage on. I think if they heard from a bunch of folks in Utah mad about it then that might bump it up on their list and we could probably get something done in some ways it's it's kind of low-hanging fruit. I well, think we it, have it the five easy victory. national parks. I mean, you know, the fact that we have five yeah. national parks in our state, and we are a riding state and a destination for riders from all over the country, sounds to me like it would be the perfect place to, to spawn the movement here in the state of Utah. Now, <laughs> we know one guy is not going to help us out in Washington um, because he has no uh, affinity for this side of the, uh, of the user public, but... Um, but only at, one. Well, well, at the Senate <laughs> level, the newest guy. How about that? Okay. Because because yeah. I'm not sure where Mike Lee stands on it, but we I think we know where Mitt Romney stands on it, and it's not yeah, with the but, majority of those of us in the outdoor community. Uh, Senator Lee, I think, would undoubtedly. I haven't heard specifically, but he would he would support yeah. the use. I'm quite certain of that. Um, you know, Senator Romney is unfortunately. I, I, I wanted to defend the guy, but unfortunately, he's kind of left his high and dry on a number of issues. It's really, it's really sad. It's hard to defend some of the some of the positions because they're certainly yeah. not reflective of the people that sent him to Washington. It's not. So, it's not. We'll, yeah. And unfortunately, that's you know, it might be something we want to discuss. We're we're going to lose probably our biggest champion, one of our biggest champions yeah. for sure, in the Utah delegation. Rob Bishop, Rob Bishop leaving. So, what does that do? I mean, what's what is the practical implication of that? You know, I, I, I really it's. I don't know if I can fully uh, express or articulate how important Rob Bishop was to the state of Utah and indeed to the entire country on public land issues. And to have him uh, leave the U.S. Congress is a substantial, and I mean substantial loss that will take many years for us to recover from, if ever. His role as uh, chairman and then ranking member once he was in the minority uh, on the Public Lands Committee and some of the subcommittees was so unbelievably powerful and useful to Utah. And, and you know, folks, uh, I, they just need to understand that seniority um, in Washington, maybe a little more so in the Senate than the House, but nevertheless, seniority and chairmanships on key committees there is nothing more useful in terms of having the ability to move things, get policy changed, you know, make an agency be responsive. There's so many congressmen and so many things going on. It's easy for a BLM or National Park Service to duck a question or kind of sidestep a member of Congress. But when he's the chairman or ranking member of the committee that you have to answer to on both policy and, in, and even in some cases your budget, um, that you, you, those agencies have to take notice because of the influence they have on those agencies. So to lose him, uh, and, and frankly, not only his position, but his 
personal beliefs and how good he was for us, I'm just, I'm really sad. Well, the other thing yeah. is it behooves us then to make sure that whatever the, whoever the, the replacement is has similar feelings because you, you can't afford to lose someone who's such a key, uh, a vital role in our outdoor community and multiple land use and everything else and then replace him with someone who is not as diligent and not as committed to no, it. I mean, yeah. you, you know, finding well, someone is going to be hard, but, uh, but I think yeah. those are the things you're going to have to really vet that person. Yeah, and if you if you look at the slate of candidates vying for his slot, um, I don't know most of them very well. I'm not sure how good they will be. I can tell you they they don't they don't ring a bell to me, and that probably is an alarm that they're not a big champion of public land use. But uh, just this last week, Kerry Gibson, who was the governor's sec- or, uh, agricultural commissioner, um, has stepped down from that position. <clears throat> he just announced on the radio the other day, and he is he is going for Rob Seat. Now I've known Kerry Gibson since he was in the legislature and before he was a, a county commissioner up in Weber County and, and then uh, with the, the Department of Ag here in Utah. I know that he is a huge champion, huge, an advocate for public lands. And, um, uh, you know, I need, to, I need to look at all the other candidates, but I'm very encouraged that Kerry's jumped into the race. And at least on the public land use issue, I think he would be spectacular. So That's a good name there, to know. But it yeah. takes time to build up your seniority to have more influence. So It absolutely does. Hey, Michael, as always, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll keep an eye on what's going on at the national and the state level as well. But you really have your finger on the pulse for us. And we always appreciate the fact that you're willing to join us and share what's going on. So, uh, again, my uh, friend, so welcome. I, I thank you and, um, and we'll look forward to speaking soon. All right, buddy. We'll talk later. Okay, thanks. That's Michael Swenson, um, the guy that, uh, I mean, he has got his finger literally on the pulse of what's going on with public land use and other things. In fact, we've got a really super exciting thing to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I don't want to tip my hand on this thing, but let me just tell you that if if this thing is working the way we think it will work, um, it will be uh, absolute great news for boaters and for fishermen and for people in the state of Utah. I mean, huge implication and well beyond Utah as well. That's all I'm going to tell you right now, but that's going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks and uh, and we'll get to that. Uh, but stick around and uh, and like I said, just watch this space for what we find out. That is going to do it for us. I want to thank Wes, want to thank uh, Michael, want to thank Gary and want to thank George for joining us for this Saturday morning and most importantly, want to thank you. As we are into 2020 now, we hope you'll continue to join us every Saturday morning throughout the year as we explore some of the issues and what's going on in the state of Utah uh, from an outdoor perspective. And again, let me just urge you to get involved. Get involved by calling our people, our representatives that are supposed to be representatives in Washington. Let them know that we do have memories and that when election cycles come around, uh, so do those memories. In the meantime, have a great week, everybody. Get outdoors. Enjoy the fishing on the ice or still some soft water. But most importantly, just enjoy Utah's outdoors. And as always, we'll see you next week. You have been warned. Yes,